Support for Innovation Hub comes from Bunker Hill Community College Compelling Conversation Series with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar on Religious Intolerance, October 26th. You can register at bhcc.edu slash cc. Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. The energy crises of the 1970s had a bunch of effects, apart from the obvious. Gas lines that were so long, people worried they weren't going to be able to get the fuel they needed to get to work. Gasoline shortages are spreading across the country. Odd-even service, gasoline lines, and closed gas stations are becoming increasingly common. I can't take it anymore. I've been carpooling. It's my turn to get gas. Thank God I'm able to get gas today. I don't care how much it costs. I just got to get gas. I got to get to work. One of those effects was additional strains on the presidency of Jimmy Carter, who would soon be replaced by the former governor of California, Ronald Reagan. And another effect of the gas crises was that a teenager named Nathan Lewis thought, there's only one real solution here, science. I was uh, one of the people that was waiting with my parents in gas lines for two hours because in the 70s there was a real oil crisis. And I wanted to do something about that. But he says the scientific tools just weren't there. Now things have changed. Lewis is a professor at the California Institute of Technology, Caltech, and one of the country's leading energy researchers. His work has attracted the attention of Bill Gates, among others. And he says it's crucial that the lessons of the 1970s not be forgotten. We had a technical problem then that was to people of my generation, kind of like the moonshot, right, where we had grown up with the space race, but we had people draining people's gasoline tanks and they would siphon out your gas. Uh, We couldn't get anywhere. Everybody was squawking about alternatives and why we're over a barrel from the Middle East who are really, they were hostages. This was a serious problem. Uh, And there was a thought that technology could get us out of that. Uh, Jimmy Carter, President Carter, started the Solar Energy Research Institute that became the National Renewable Energy Lab. Uh, There was a huge interest and momentum in trying to do things about alternatives uh, that permeated all the way down to teenagers. But then human nature kicked in. The government got busy with other things, and we took our eye off the ball. That oil crisis went away. The price of oil dropped. $8 a barrel. We didn't really do any energy research for two decades. What Lewis believes is that we may be closing in on huge breakthroughs. Science has already increased efficiency tremendously. While our economy has grown a lot since the 1970s, our consumption of oil is pretty much flat, which is shocking when you look at the numbers. But an alternative to oil is still the brass ring for Nathan Lewis. We wouldn't fight wars with people if we didn't have to worry about their natural resources. We wouldn't deal with all sorts of geopolitical issues. We wouldn't have the geopolitics of dictatorships and on and on again if we could really make inroads into the energy problem. So it is interrelated. It's dealing with the water problem. Plenty of water, not where you need it when you want it, just like plenty of oil, not where you need it when you want it all the time. They are very closely related. So Lewis's solution is artificial photosynthesis. He's been working on it for years, converting the sun's light into energy, just like plants do. So the real issue with solar energy is twofold. Uh, One, uh, that electricity 
is expensive energy, and two, can't store it, never been able to store it since Edison realized this in 1931. And when it comes to the sun, he that cannot store shall not have power after four. So the best way to store energy is in chemical bonds. That's where oil, coal, and gas stores energy. So we should do the same thing. Find a way to store the energy of that biggest resource we have, the sun, in chemical bonds. Photosynthesis is nature's solution to doing exactly that. The issue is that photosynthesis is not very efficient. The fastest growing plants store less than 1% of the energy of sunlight in a year in all of the biomass. So that doesn't mean we can't do it better. In the same way that uh, birds fly, but we don't build aircraft with feathers, once you know it's possible to fly, you design a human-powered aircraft uh, that works with jet engines, that works and flies faster than any bird. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to develop, inspired by nature, a photosynthetic system that produces the same functions. It takes the biggest resource, the sun, and makes stored fuel, but it does it in a way that's at least 10 times more efficient than the fastest growing crop. It will last and not have to be rebuilt, and every country has enough sunlight to support their energy economy forever. How would this photosynthesis-inspired system work? Lewis says it would be nothing like solar panels. Instead, it would be soft, and you'd be able to put tiny fibers on it, nanofibers, that would soak up the sun's energy all day long. It would be something that you would think about as a high-performance rain jacket, a fabric, literally a piece of plastic, with our nanofibers embedded in it, blue on one side, red on the other, that you would roll out like tarp or artificial turf and hook it up to drainage pipes, just like we have now for drainage, except that you would be draining fuel when sun hit the artificial grass uh, that you deployed in something like a football field. So just like a plant, those nanofibers, which if you get down to a really tiny scale, actually look a lot like trees, would be turning the sun's energy into usable fuel. Fuel you could put into your car, you could put it onto a plane, it could go to a power plant that would turn it into electricity, exactly like we do with oil. Lewis's lab has made tremendous progress on the project. Bill Gates, who I mentioned before visited the lab, says we're in serious need of a quote-unquote energy miracle, which this could prove to be. And Lewis says that the race towards a solution has engaged a new cohort of brilliant minds, much like the energy crises of the 1970s that propelled him into science when he was a young man. The energy problem has definitely captured the imagination of this generation of young scientists. And from a viewpoint of, of national funding, uh, the worst thing we can do is cut that talent pool off by stopping funding for these projects because then we screw up all that momentum that we've built up and we also lose the lead that we have built up with respect to other countries who are trying to pour resources into this. So if I were to bet, I would bet on our young scientists that America has grown up and I keep saying that if Congress bets on that money and funds this research, I'll double down with them and we'll do our part if they come through and do theirs. So 
We've been uh, focusing in our look at California this week on the fact that the state seems to be just a world apart from Washington, D.C. right now. And uh, the governor, Jerry Brown, has been very vocal about his belief in climate change. He said um, if Trump turns off the satellites that gather data on climate change, California, this is a quote, will launch its own damn satellite. Um, Do you think there's more that California could do to really lead the opposition here? I would love to see a, a concrete proposal where the governor were to lead and put his money behind what his statements are and really bring the state of California what we did for stem cells. Let's go do that for clean energy and go our own way and support our own policies. Can you imagine that happening? Have you heard anyone talking about it? Because I think, um, and you know, you talked about stem cells, but I think when George W. Bush put more restrictions on stem cell research, right, the California said essentially, uh, we don't care, we're going to help fund research on stem cells in California. That's exactly what happened. There was a ballot initiative passed where a bond was floated, and when there were federal restrictions on stem cell research, Californians stepped up and funded it at a level that was bigger than the federal government, and many of the leading researchers in the country moved to California because that's where they could get their work done, and they served the interests of the state and the nation. A model like that to pick up the clean energy R&D part, not just the deployment part of the innovation ecosystem, could really exploit the skill base that was here and the innovation areas that are here and would be, I think, an incredible legacy for the governor to leave behind. And I think that would be a fantastic thing for us to do. That would be a fascinating situation if people were just leaving their positions at UT Austin and, you know, University of Wisconsin and Cornell and just moving to California because California offered some huge amount of money. That would be a great thing. It doesn't even take a huge amount of money. Uh, The discussions that us academics and basic researchers have had is that two cents a gallon gas tax, for instance, if put based on the amount of gasoline consumed every year into this would generate half a billion dollars a year in revenue for research and development. Hmm. Finally, you've spent a lot of your life in a lab. When you look at the temperature, uh, the average yearly temperature around the world, of course, increases every year. Do you ever feel like Uh, We're doing an experiment on ourselves, but we don't actually know what the end of the experiment is. Oh, absolutely. Uh, We know uh, that anthropogenic human emissions are the basis for the rise in carbon dioxide. We also know that within our lifetimes, it's going to be double what any human would have otherwise experienced. We know for 670,000 straight years, year by year, that when CO2 levels have gone up or down, temperatures have also then gone up or down. We don't know what the future will bring, absolutely. But if you want to feel good about betting against 670,000 straight years of data and knowing uh, that CO2 levels, even if we stop, will last in the air for 3,000 years and will last in our oceans for 2 million years. And so if we get to a bad place, there's no way out for generations to come. Then that's a bet that you can take, but I somehow don't feel so comfortable 
not saying that I did everything I could to find a way out of that issue. And that's what we're trying to do. Nathan Lewis is a professor at Caltech and one of our country's leading solar fuel researchers. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was good to be here. Sunshine, sunshine is fine. I feel it in my skin, warming up my mind. Sometimes you gotta give in to win. I love the days when it shines. Roll and it shine. If you want to take a deep dive and understand the chemistry of Nathan Lewis's work, we've got him explaining the specifics at our website. Plus, he tells us how a lab really operates, how much you thinking about big problems, and how much you grinding it out day to day. I think it's about the 80-20 rule. Um, about 80% of it's day to day and 20% of it's abstract. About 80% of the work is done in 20% of the time, and 20% of the work takes 80% of the time. About 20% of the people end up doing 80% of the publishable results. <laughs> the boss probably does 20% of the work and, and yaks about it 80% of the time. I think there's a very general 80-20 here that's just probably within experimental error right in a bunch of six different cases. That's at innovationhub.org. From PRI and WGBH Radio, I'm Kara Miller, and this is Innovation Hub from California. Support for Innovation Hub comes from Cambridge Savings Bank. Introducing the CSB1 package, a checking account combined with investing through Connect Invest to help you build a better tomorrow. CambridgeSavings.com slash CSB1.